You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse 5. There are times in the life of a minister that you're in a series, and we're in a series right now, fixing your eyes on Jesus. We've looked at the woman with the issue of blood. We've looked at Jairus, who um, his daughter is dying. And I had prepared to move on with that. But um, here lately, I've just been very much concerned concerned about our nation, concerned about the state of our world. And really, uh, maybe this sermon could be titled, John and Eric, if, uh, if we title it anything, Should I, as a Christian, be concerned? Should we be concerned right now in our world? And what should we do, and I'm getting a little bit of a ringing sound here, what should we do in light of this present time that we're living in. So I want you to look at Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse 5. And let me say real quickly that Jesus is being asked by his disciples a question that he will spend more time elaborating and speaking than any other question or subject that was ever posed or put to him. And that is the coming of Jesus Christ, the end of the age, and and those matters. Uh, It's in Matthew chapter 24. It's in uh, Mark chapter 13. It's in Luke chapter 21. In Matthew 24 and 25, there's a long span of time that Jesus talks about this. But in Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse 5, if you've got that, say amen. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. In other words, this was Herod's temple. It was one of the wonders, architectural wonders of the world at that time. They're marveling at it, much like you would be if you went to Washington, D.C., Uh, But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left upon another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Now, everybody look this way. This would be the equivalent of you being in Washington, looking at the Washington Monument or other edifices there in D.C., and somebody looking at you and saying, there will not be one stone left on another. That would upset you. That would startle you. So in verse 7, the disciples said, Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Now, in Matthew's account, Matthew 24, they asked three questions. They said, when will this happen, the destruction of the temple, 70 A.D. by the Roman Empire? When will be the sign or the, uh, of your second coming, of your coming? And then third, when will be the consummation or the end of the age as we know it? 
Now, in verse 8, he replied, Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. Everybody look this way. Paul said to Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power. In the Greek dunamis, we get our word dynamite. God does not want you to live in fear. If you have fear in your heart, that fear is from the enemy outside of a fear of God. That's the only thing that the child of God fears. And that is a worship, awe kind of fear, an adoration. Watch out that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I'm he, the time is, and saying that the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and governors, and all on, my, on account of my name. This will result in you being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you the words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. We give you glory. Lord, cleanse me. Take away anything, dear Lord, that would in any way interfere. And Lord, may your word be spoken today with an urgency and a passion and a power that would come only by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we give you the glory, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Have you ever, have you ever been watching a good program when all of a sudden it says, we interrupt this regularly scheduled program to bring you a special bulletin? and you're just almost annoyed. It has to really be some really unbelievable, world-wise, earth-shaking news if it interrupts your regularly scheduled program. Are you listening to the radio, and you're in, a, in the middle of a song, and all of a sudden that horrible, annoying sound begins to come across your radio, and in that moment you... Uh, you know, you're a little bit frustrated. Usually it's a test. 
this had been an actual emergency, we would have, and then they go into that spiel. Uh, the 12 o'clock, first day of the month, what happens? That civil defense alarms go off. And I don't know about you, but my dog decides to yodel through the entire presentation. He gets out in the driveway, he puts his head back, and he goes into his own discourse, chiming in with the civil defense. Now, all of these, and I wrote this down, all of these outside of weather tend to be an interruption to the things that we value. Anybody that's ever flown, you know when you fly, the stewardess says they're finally getting ready to take off. They go through a presentation of all of the safety procedures. They talk to you about how to buckle your seatbelt, how to buckle the seatbelt of somebody, maybe a child. They talk to you about if we were to lose uh, cabin pressure, the oxygen mask would fall down and to put those masks on. And they go through all that presentation. And for most of us, if you've flown much, you just kind of let that go by. In fact, you try to look really cool, don't you? You look like you're reading a magazine as if this is old hat, old news. I don't really need this. But maybe you need to remember that like a friend of ours, years ago we had a journeyman. These are usually college-age students who are missionaries. Was, and uh, they came to Zimbabwe, Africa, where we were living. She was sitting in our home. Emily, I don't know if you remember this. She was a young lady that came to our home. She ate a meal with us. And she told us the story of one of the worst airline on-ground disasters that ever was. This woman said, this young girl, college-age missionary volunteer, was on a plane uh, I think it was a Chinese plane. She was on a plane when all of a sudden this massive plane filled with hundreds of people, probably about 400 passengers, began to buck and to begin to move. And all of a sudden they realized that the plane was being the pilot. Somebody had gotten into the cockpit and was trying to take over the controls. In the fight to maintain that plane, she said at that point they were buckling their seatbelt. She turned to the girl next to her, a friend of hers, and she said, if something happens to me, this is what I want you to do if you live. This girl said the same thing to her. The plane eventually is buckling and, and moving from side to side, dropping in altitude. People are screaming, hundreds of people are screaming to the top of her lungs. And I don't know, Emily, if you remember, we were sitting on the edge of our seat. And she said that plane finally came in and another plane had taxied out onto the runway and this plane filled with hundreds of people hit that plane and it caused a massive hundreds of people lost their lives in that instant. This young lady said, I looked down in that moment and I saw those emergency lights, those little blue lights, and she said, I began to fumble my way. I turned to my friend and she was dead. She said, I found my way when all of a sudden there was a break in the fuselage and she said, I bailed out, not caring where I fell." You know, sometimes when we see those warnings, it never occurs to us that there may come a day when those warnings may save our lives. We're living in uncertain times. 
And I guess in some ways, I, I was prepared to preach. I looked at Sheila last night. I had disappeared for hours and hours, and Sheila's nodding her head. She could tell something was going on with me. And I walked out, and I said, I hate when God interrupts my schedule. Now, that is an arrogant, prideful statement, and I didn't really mean it. But I am concerned and I think for every Christian, the present world news is concerning. Members have come privately. Some have asked, uh, Brother Jeff, how are we as believers to interpret the times that we're living in? Now, let me tell you, I've never shied from the issues. I've talked to you about coronavirus, about COVID, talked to you about vaccination. I've talked to you about issues through the year, racial. Uh, I've talked to you about all the issues. If any pastor does that, I do that. But here lately, I wanted to settle down and do a series and fix my eyes on Jesus. But God said, no, we need to talk about the times that you're living in. I don't know about you, but when I'm on a plane and the turbulence is really bad, and I've been there. I've been in some horrible situations. In that moment, I love to hear from the cockpit. I want the pilot of that plane to come on and to say, folks, as you can tell, we have hit some severe turbulence. We are trying to climb over it. We're trying to go around it. We may not. And then finally, they'll say, we have no choice. We have to go through this. It's going to be rough. So give us about 10 to 15 minutes. And then they'll make this statement. And you've got about 50 years of experience flying commercial jetliners in this cockpit right now. My friend, let me tell you something. You and I have a sovereign God that is in control of this world. That's why we don't live in fear. But I like to hear. So maybe today, think of me as a flight attendant. Somebody that's just uh, give you a heads up. And, and am I concerned? Am I trying to alarm you? No, but I am trying to alert you. So I want you to go back, Luke 21, look at Luke 21, beginning at verse uh, 9. Luke 21, beginning at verse 9. Because I believe there's some things that are happening today. The state of our world right now is something that ought to concern every Christian. There is unbelievable political unrest around the world today. But look at Luke 21, beginning at verse 9. Jesus said, when you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. Now let me tell you, I don't have to go back to 8. I heard John MacArthur make this statement. He said, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Josephus said there was an endless stream of deceivers, quote, messiahs that were coming onto the scene of the world at that time. There'll always be deception. But in verse 9, Jesus said this. He said, when you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. We are living in a very stressed world, politically uh, strange time. You know, I told you a long time ago, I told you, you can go back and check. 
I told you a long time ago that Putin and Russia would eventually do something, and they have. And right now, as we watch Russia move across the Ukraine, we are reminded. In fact, I, I want to get into this, but I don't have time. But I want to encourage you to look at Ezekiel 38. Because Ezekiel, the prophet in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 38, he talks about this area called Gog and Magog. This area that is north of Israel. He said at a time in the Jewish people, in the time of the nation of, the, a nation of Israel, it'll be a time of quiet. It'll be a time of political rest. It'll seem like things are all right when all of a sudden this enemy that by modern terminology would be out of Russia will come from the north and come down. In fact, Ezekiel 38 says this. He said God will put his hook into the jaw of that entity to the north, Gog, Magog, Russia, and he'll actually pull them down into the nation of Israel. We're living in those times. China right now. I told you a long time ago, years ago, I told you that eventually uh, Sheila and I had an opportunity to be in an international Baptist church in Taipei, Taiwan. We turned it down because we did not want our children to go to boarding school and because we just didn't believe it was God's will at that time. But we've always been concerned about Taiwan. I don't know why Nancy Pelosi thought it was her business to go to Taiwan. It's almost as if she was trying to pick a fight. But right now, China's begin to fire toward Taiwan, which would be an act of war, which we, unlike the Ukraine, would have no choice but to find ourselves pulled into. China today boasts of 200 million foot soldiers. An army from the east, the Bible talks about, will one day, in fact, take your Bibles, go over to the right, look at Revelation. Revelation chapter 9. Look at Revelation chapter 9. I think I'm right. In Revelation chapter 9, beginning at verse 13, watch what the sixth angel sound. Now, remember, everybody look this way, and I always get in trouble when I do this, but... Well, let's, I won't stand on the chair. But when in Revelation, you go back and read this later on, but when John the Beloved exiled on the Isle of Patmos, the Bible says that there was a window open. John was actually taken up into heaven, into the very throne room of God. God then tells John, he says, John, I want you to watch what you're seeing and John begins to describe, if 2,000-year language, John is describing the end time. He begins to talk about certain things, a series of judgments by God, the seals, the vows, the trumpets, and not in that order. Seals, trumpets, and vows. He be, bowls. He begins to talk about these. But in Revelation chapter 9, Beginning at verse 13, the sixth angel sounded his trumpet. This is under that series of judgments called the trumpet judgment. And I hear a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar, altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound to the great river Euphrates and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour, day, month, and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops 
was 200 million. I heard their number. The combined forces of World War II, both sides, was not 50 million. China today, and I looked this up, China today brags and says 200 million men and women are fit today for military service. They claim that they can actually bring manpower to 365 million manpower, meaning men between the ages of 15 to 49. That is an army, my friend. Billy Graham was asked this question, are we living in the last days? First of all, Billy said this. He said, we are. He said, you and I are. At best, we don't have very long. I've got a stint in my heart. I don't know how long I'll be here. I may have a few more years. You may have a few more years. But we're living in our last days. But then he went on to make this statement, and I heard him make this statement. He said, I believe that good is getting better, evil is getting worse, and they're polarizing toward a final conflict. Do you feel it? You know, theologians argue this passage. Some say, wait a minute, this doesn't... This doesn't actually mean China or an army, the Revelation says, out of the east. Some say this is a demonic army. You know what Billy Graham went on to say? He said, I believe, he said, I believe that a new host of demons have been hatched out of the pit of hell in these last days. Evil's getting eviler, worse. Good's getting better, and they're both polarizing toward a final conflict. And he looked at the newscaster, who was not a Christian, and he said, and we're moving toward Armageddon. We're in a very politically unstable environment today. In the United States, we've been, we're crippled. Politically, we're polarized. We're, we're, we're dabbling in ideologies that have failed all over the world. Communism and Marxism, but we, we, we're dabbling in some of these political ideologies that haven't worked in Africa, haven't worked in Europe, haven't worked in Asia, haven't worked in Russia, but we're going to dabble in them. We're going to turn our face away from God and the things of God and the Word of God because we believe that some of these ideologies can fix us. They can't startling this week I was looking at the news listening to BBC which I got into the practice of doing after years of living overseas and I was startled to hear that much of Europe right now is in a major drought did you know that I see Lauren who works a lot with the Muslim population Lauren uh, Iran Pakistan some of those countries are also under a major drought. In other words, Western Europe is drying up. I've lived in England. It is wet. It is wet all the time. It's drying up. In fact, let me tell you a story. God is my witness. Sheila's already smiling. When we went to England, we left Zimbabwe, Africa. 
We went from the IMB, we were assigned to England. We went to England, in southern England, in Cornwall, well, down in Cornwall, in Bodmin. I went to the first meeting they were voting to close the church. The Assembly of God had closed their church in Bodmin, and they thought the Baptists would do the same. I sat with three people, Tracy, a British woman, her and her husband. She began to cry. She said, I don't want our church to close. And I said, well, I tell you what, God didn't bring me here to close the church. And we began, Emily, did you get the Holy Ghost or was that a wasp? Either way, it looked good. It let me know you were awake. But in that moment, in that little room, we made a decision to keep that church open. And, and we began to clean it up and paint it and fix it. And we began to serve, uh, you know, the Brits. They call them cookies and biscuits and hot tea. And, and before long, we got up to about 50 people that were coming. And, and, and God began to do something in that church. But the British Baptist Union met with me, and they said, how can we pray for you? I said, I came from Harare, Zimbabwe, the best climate in the world. And I am dying in this rain-drenched environment. We can't even play baseball. I'm miserable here. I need you to pray for better weather. The British Baptist Union reps begin to laugh. I said, pray anyway. God is my witness. She, your pastor's wife is nodding her head. They literally thought they were going to dry up. God shut the rain down. Me and the boys were playing baseball. We were having the best time. They had weather that hadn't been that way in 300 years. We serve a God that listens. But Europe is being hit with a drought. Some of the Middle East is being hit with a drought. Europe is navigating fuel prices just like we are. And it's far more critical there than it is even for us. And Africa. I look today and see Emily's sister and brother-in-law here. And they know what I'm talking about after being in Rwanda and Burundi. Africa continues to be one of the poorest continents today. You say, well, how do you get that information? There are two metrics that determine how we dis dis make that decision. Number one is our GDP, gross domestic product. In other words, this is, and I wrote it down, this is the total value of all the goods and services that are produced in a country. Then the gross national income. They take this, the gross domestic product per capita measures the total value of all goods and services produced by a country. They divide it by the number of people in that country, and that gives them the ability then to predict the poorest co continents or countries. Ten of the countries in the world are in Africa. Some people say, why is Africa chronically hungry? And going back, go back to uh, Luke 21. Watch what Jesus said in verse 11. There will be great earthquakes, famines. Everybody look this way. I sat right here teaching a Bible study, and I was talking about the shortening of the day. The Bible said, except those days be shortened, not even the elect would be saved. And, I, and somebody asked me what it meant. I said, I don't know. It seems to me that God will intervene at a critical moment and take his kids out. 
But I went on to make this statement. I said, but if God wants to, he can shorten the day. They laughed at me. One week, in one week, there was an earthquake in Peru. NASA said, shifted this earth and shortened our days. We serve a great God. That's why we get all excited when we're worshiping. Why is Africa chronically hungry? Why could we be living in Luke 21, 11, there will be great earthquakes and famines, pestilence? According to the World Vision in an article dated February 22nd, 2022, recurring drought. And let me remind you, Europe is in presently in a drought. Iran, Pakistan, as well as high prices, fuel. Much of their fuel came from the Ukraine, or came from those, much of their, their grain came from the Ukraine. But conflict, instability have led to the problems in Africa, severe food shortage. Food and agricultural organization states world hunger rose Further, in 2021, undernourishment went from 8% in 2019 to 9.8% in 2021. 828 million people in the world are facing hunger. Nearly 1 billion people in 2021. 150 million more than the previous year. Let me stop right here. Is your Walmart showing some empty shelves? You think we're immune? Well, that's way over there in Africa. Surely famine would never hit this country. By 2038% of the world's population will face hunger. Hunger rose in Africa, Asia, Latin America, and the Caribbean. And I put down your note again, Russia and the Ukraine. Listen to this. Russia and Ukraine are two of the world's leading producers of staple cereals, oil seeds, and fertilizer. And that fertilizer affects our agriculture. The conflict is interfering with supply chains, grain, fertilizer, energy prices. A friend of mine, many of you know him. Many of you know him. He's one of the largest fertilizer dealers, one of the largest handling fertilizer with planes. I remember in 2008, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was at Kroger in Flowood when I got a call from a friend of mine. A multi-million dollar business, a fertilizing industry. He called and said, Jeff, and I could tell he was emotional. He said, I'm about to lose everything. You think this doesn't concern the United States? The conflict is in interfering with supply chains. These are quotes, supply chains, grain, fertilizer, energy prices. Simulations of severe export shortages are now being played out by the UN and by governments suggesting an increase of up to 13 million in 2022, 19 million more undernourished in 2023. In other words, we may face the fact that there could be a literal famine. Revelation chapter 6, verse 6. Take a right, go back over there. If you move back, Revelation chapter 6, verse 6. Look at this. Revelation chapter 6, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded. This is the seal judgments. That was the trumpet judgments. Uh, here's the seal judgments, the judgment of God. 
Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a day's wages, three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. The reality is, as many people in Africa today spend their day navigating their day for one thing, to find food for that day. And you two know exactly what I'm talking about. The writer of Revelation said, and you say, well, are we in the sealed judgments? Are we in the trumpet judgments? Well, I hold to a premillennial position. Uh, in other words, I believe there's going to come a point, as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, that God is going to give the trumpet sound, the shout, and we His children are going to be called up, raptured, called up together with the Lord in the air. And when that moment happens, it won't take this world seven years to literally bring it to the brink of destruction to the degree that if God did not intervene, intervene nothing would be left. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 6, one commentator said, The voice announced that a quart of wheat was selling for a day's wages. Three quarts of barley would cost the day's wages. Symbolically, this passage seems to indicate a common experience in real-world crisis. War and famine give way to inflation due to supply and demand. Let me tell you what Walmart said on the international scene, and they said it on BBC, and I kept running it back. Did I see that correctly Walmart was warning of hyperinflation and prices going up to the degree that it would startle you and I and scare us frighten us BBC was warning the British uh, the uh, UK the United Kingdom they were warning listen of a world recession and you may say, practically, what does that mean to me? I'm concerned. I'm concerned. Sheila and I are cleaning up. Cleaning up attic, cleaning up home, cleaning up the yard. Building container gardens, doing what we can. Rethinking how we live our life just in case we're here long enough to see the shadows of this. Again, Russia and Ukraine are two of the world's leading producers of staple cereals, oil seeds, fertilizer. The conflict is becoming greater because of supply chains, grain, fertilizer, energy prices. One writer said many of the nations, including the Europe and United States, uh, the nations of Europe and the United States, their economies are right now held in bondage to extreme high oil prices. Take your Bible, and I'll close in a moment, but take your Bible from Revelation 6. Go over to Revelation 18.3. Now, I may get a little far-fetched here, and if you don't uh, agree, that's fine. But I believe this. I, I believe that John, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, is brought up into the very throne room of God into heaven. Everybody listen. Everybody look this way. And... Um, well, let me just use these water bottles. Doyle, I hope you don't need them. But this is the beginning of time. This is what the Jew called the consummation of the age, the end of the age. Jesus talked about this. This is the end of time as we know it. This is eternity. 
John, from the advantage point of God, is told to write what he sees. I don't want to get him mixed up. No. What he sees in this segment of time right here. And John is writing as an observer. Watch what he says in Revelation 18. Verse 1, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by splendor. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable spirit. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. Let me ask you something. If John the Beloved, a man, a man who's 2,000 years old, he has a 2,000-year-old language, he's sitting here, how would he describe a TV? In the Greek, the word icon in the Greek means image. John said, I saw an image. The African in the Shona language of Zimbabwe, when I, pre when I spoke about this, we called it the Mufana Nitso. The Mufana Nitso is a picture. It's a polar Polaroid. It's a picture. John said, I saw an icon of Mufana Nitso. I saw a picture and it was given life and it began to speak. John talked about the economies of the world being controlled by number. I've told you that. Here it is. This is worth hardly nothing. Who uses this anymore? The reality is, is that all of us are identified by the number. Sam doesn't bother. Sam's doesn't take your picture anymore. They don't need your picture. All you need is the card to get into Sam's. And you can't buy or sell without it. 2,000 years ago, a man looked at that moment in time and he said there will be a great political leader who will bring all the governments under a one world rule and he the antichrist satan's messiah will control the buying and selling and the commerce of the world and you won't be able to do it without the mark of the beast you'll have to have the number we live in those days right now identity fraud you know what they're pushing they're pushing for the identity to be on the person literally physically biologically in your body so that you can carry on business in order to be able to make it this is the world that we're living in but let me why bring this revelation 18 3 for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries my thought is this could he be looking at a substance that he's not familiar with and the, and the idea could possibly be what is the wine that the nations of the world would be willing to commit even spiritual adultery for? What is the substance? And to me, I think it could be oil. He says they're drunk. Well, what does that mean? They're drunk meaning they're dependent upon it. Can't live without it. They've got to have it. They, they commit spiritual, uh, the Bible when it talks about uh, for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries, the idea could be that all the nations are, that they're hooked. Uh, they, they can't let go of it. Well, let me, let me close with that. I just wrote down here a quote, oil could be the wine-like substance 
that has drunken the nations and made the nations of the world so dependent that they'll do whatever they have to do in order to get it. These are unstable times. These are times that for any Christian we ought to begin to think about. Let me give you an example. The IRS right now is trying to hire 87,000 new employees and telling the IRS employees that you'll need, they're looking for people that would be willing to be weaponized. A weaponized IRS, Internal Revenue Service, do you know what that sounds like? That sounds like what I saw in Zimbabwe. A Marxist communist leader, a, a bully who basically is demanding that the people of a nation support his flamboyant lifestyle and a, and, a, and a government that literally is feeding on it, feeding on the people. We're living in uncertain times. Should you be concerned? Yes. Should you be afraid? No. Why do you say not be afraid? Well, I'm telling you that we serve a sovereign God. Now, let me tell you this much. It's not a time for you as a child of God to be dabbling in sin. It's not a time for you right now to be living a life that you know is in willful disobedience to Christ. This is a time for you and I to examine our life, to look at our life, to get our lives in order, to begin to say, God, what do you need me to do? How can I live... How can I live my life in a way that if you interrupt this world and call me home through the rapture, I'll be ready to go? You may say, well, you know, Brother Jeff, I don't believe any of that. Well, you go right ahead. Right, see, I've been doing it, what, 40 plus years? I used to not to be able to, I used to not uh, pull out all these numbers that I am now. There wasn't a Sam's when I started ministry, and when I read about controlling the economy of the world through a single one-world government and the ability to put a number on a person, all that seemed very foreign to me 40 years ago. It's not foreign now. When I look at what's happening to Europe, whether we see the drought, when I look at the war, when I look at supply chains beginning to break down, when I see that the starvation rate is getting close to one billion people, when I see nations of the world that are beginning to get worried, when I walk into my Walmart and once loaded shelves are not loaded anymore. It is a reminder to me, I better get a little bit uncomfortable, and I need to get my life, my marriage, my home, my family, and everything ready just in case. The African people would often greet each other. Are you ready to go to heaven? Do you know him? Brother Jeff, you trying to scare us? No. I'm just trying to let you know. Because I won't always be here. And one day when I die, some of you young people, you remember this, I'll be as alive as I've ever been. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I'll be alive. I told Sheila, bury me out in the backyard next to my dog. 
because I'll be with Jesus. I'll be with Jesus. If the rapture takes place, the law of gravity won't work on my feet. He'll just simply take the deposit of His Holy Spirit, Paul talked about in Ephesians 1, and I'll feel a tug pulling me up heavenward. And I'll just meet all my African friends, all my European friends, all those people I know from all over the world, followers of Christ. I'll just meet them midair. Will you? Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord, we live in a time in my nearly 67 years of life, a time that I would not have believed. We live in a time where many of the things that Jesus spoke about are beginning to take shape and in many ways look as if they are coming to life, materializing before our very eyes. And Lord, the most important thing in all the world is that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The most important thing in all the world is that we have repented of our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, receiving Him as our Lord and Savior. There's nothing more important than that. And Lord, for years I lived in doubt and uncertainty till one day in an office as a grown man, a husband and a father, I fell down on my knees and said, Lord, I don't want to go through another day and not know. And I put my face down in a chair in front of my desk in that office. And I said, oh, Lord Jesus, settle this in my heart. Because, Lord, I need to know. I want to know for certain. And, Lord, I believe when I stood up, there was a peace that came over me that to this day has forever changed me. So, Lord, there's some in this room, there's some that will be watching later. Uh, they don't need to put it off. And God, if there's a decision that needs to be made, they'd make it today, right now, in this moment. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Lord, there are others that may be in this room or in the sound of my voice, this conversation frightens them. And it's not because of the suffering that could come. It frightens them because they are so far removed from you. They've been living too long in willful, defiant disobedience. They have, as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, they have quenched the Holy Spirit. As Paul said to the church at Ephesus, they have grieved the Holy Spirit. And this conversation frightens some because their life is so out of your will. It's time to repent and come home. And may they realize that just as the Father meant the prodigal, that you'll meet them. So Lord, I pray today for that group whether people be lost and they need to be saved, or whether people are living outside the will of God, that they would come today and repent, recommit, rededicate that life, and mean it. See a difference. See a difference in their marriage, in their home, in their family.
may they see the difference that I've seen in people through my years of ministry. Some who've come after an invitation. When a revival was over, a man who came and banged on my door. So I was sitting down to eat lunch. Big farmer stood there weeping. Said, oh, Brother Jeff, I didn't come in the invitation and I'm lost. God, may you get a hold of people today. And may, dear Lord, we be on high alert, ready. Ready. Are you ready? Look this way. Are you ready? Are you excited that he's coming? Are you ready? For you that have lost loved ones, is heaven getting ready? Billy Graham said, heaven's a busy place. Why? They're getting ready for the greatest event that we've seen next to the Word becoming flesh. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You come. You come. You need to pray at this altar.